It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Over the last half century, few voting blocks have evolved as importantly in American politics as African-American voters. Following the passage of the Voting Rights Act, millions of African-Americans have joined other voters as regulars at the polls. And their presence has meant a lot to candidates both nationally and locally. But we saw black participation decline significantly in the 2016 presidential election when Donald Trump was the winner. And that was true in some key swing states like Michigan. Nationally, black turnout declined by 4.7 percentage points compared to 2012. Here in Michigan, it was even more dramatic. Black turnout dropped by more than 12 percentage points. Early polling and voter surveys during this election cycle suggest that President Trump is likely to motivate more African-American voters to show up at the polls this year, presumably to vote against him. But how important will that black vote be in this election? And what does this election say about the overall development of black voting in America? That's where we want to begin the conversation. And we would love to hear from you as well. How big a role do you think race plays in deciding a major election? How big a role does it play in the way maybe you cast your own ballot? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation here. I've got two really great guests to help lead this conversation today, and I'm really excited to have them with us. Desiree Cooper is a journalist and activist. She wrote a piece in Black Magazine titled, As We Enter a New Election Year, the Future of Our Nation Could Rest on Black Shoulders. Desiree Cooper, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Glad glad to be here. Yes, it's always great to have you with us. And also with us is Wendy Walters. She is a writer and visiting professor of nonfiction who writes at Columbia University and recently wrote a piece on Medium's Zora publication about African-American women as key Midwestern swing voters. Wendy Walters, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Stephen. All right, so let's start the conversation here. Generally speaking... What is the role that you see black voters playing in this election coming up in just a few months? Desiree Cooper, I'll start with you. Well, it's it's got it. It's going to be pivotal, um, and it's and the role is growing as the party gets more diverse and dispersed. The black vote is is all the more consolidated and more important. And um, the more that we can energize uh, that block, uh, the more success we will have getting representatives that look like us and that have our interests at heart. Um, I I do think that there's a danger of um, falling prey to things like gerrymandering, like the voting rights, you know, throwing people off of, of, of voting rolls and things like that that are undermining our our voice. And so that's what we've got to look forward to over this coming year about how we cannot let those challenges sort of block our ability to get to those polls and actually have an impact on the election. In your piece, you say the future of our nation could rest on black shoulders. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Well, hasn't it always? <laughs> right? Hasn't it always? <laughs> 
Uh, I'm not sure everybody would say that, but well, I well I am, I am because it wouldn't have been built otherwise, right? And that's something that we have to really understand as Black people. This land is your land. This land is our land. We built it too. We are not visitors here. This is my country, Mm -hmm. and I'm as patriotic as anybody else that got here uh, voluntarily. And um, over the years, there has been straight-up terror about what that means for black people to say, this is mine. And, and that's where the racism has come from. That's what it's all about. And so how can we shed the blood? How can we, with our hands, pick the cotton, build the buildings, build the capital upon which that's been used against us and not participate in our own liberation. And I think that um, I, I the column was about watch night and how often um, African-Americans increasingly are bringing in the new year in um, a church setting, observing watch night where, you know, the the sort of mythology is that slaves sort of waited with bated breath and wringing hands on whether or not Abraham Lincoln was going to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. And that's sort of more mythology than reality. Mm -hmm. But the legacy is we're not going to do this on our knees. You know, we do have to say a prayer, and the prayer has to motivate our feet and our minds and our hearts. And we've got to do something, and we can. So we have to watch in terms of being vigilant um, and not waiting for the Savior to come. And I don't mean that in a spiritual sense, but I mean like the one black liberator who's going to bring us to freedom or deliver us from these challenging times. It's in all of our hands. And it's it's um, it's going to happen because each of us is doing our part. Uh, Wendy Walters, in your piece, uh, you wrote about African-American women as key Midwestern swing voters, which I think is a really interesting way to, to, to discuss this idea of swing voters and Midwestern voters. When we talk in those terms generally, I think in many people's minds, they're thinking of white voters uh, and they're thinking of white male voters. Talk about, though, the difference between those voters and the African-American women who you say are pivotal to that Midwestern vote. Uh, Well, one of the things that I discovered when I was talking to women in Detroit uh, this summer, this past summer, was how um, complex their thinking was on a lot of these issues. And um, I think what was, I think, surprising to me was um, the fact that there was a lot of thought about their own communities um, being separate from the national election. And while the national election really does seem to be driving a lot of the media attention and draw, drawing a lot of the uh, attention around kind of uh, tr- critical issues related to, uh, you know, related to democracy and, and those kind of bigger concerns, um, there, are, there is a lot of concern about issues that are really local. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, it's been a mistake in some ways to think about Midwestern communities as being... Um, ambivalent, for example, about uh, issues related to the environment, issues related to water, issues related to climate. Um, I think there's been an underestimation of the number of households uh, also that are financially led by women and what kinds of um, tensions that actually puts them in as a voter, uh, you know, having to face kind of corporate interests, but then also 
family responsibilities, which are significant when they're head of household and uh, primary caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, th- there are also these issues of infrastructure on the state and federal level, um, and especially in a state like Michigan. But I think a lot of the Midwestern states are also facing uh, really significant infrastructural concerns from roads to bridges, but also internet reliability and access to public transportation. These are all um, really significant things that they're thinking about and, and thinking about uh, in relationship to not only presidential candidates, but local and, you know, neighborhood and um, state candidates, um, which I think is going to be really important in terms of driving the vote uh, to the polls. Hmm. Uh, when we when we think of black uh, female voters in, in the Midwest in terms of the presidential election, Wendy, uh, what 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 are we what are we seeing in terms of their motivation? One of the things that helped Donald Trump win Michigan in 2016 was the the relatively low turnout among African Americans, especially here in Detroit. We lost. 20,000 votes between Mm. 2012 and 2016. What role are women likely to play in perhaps the resurgence of those votes in 2020? I mean, I think the uh, resurgence, from my estimation, is going to be pretty significant. Um, But the, you know, the challenge, I think, is really still in this dynamic between um, the, the, presidential election and the local, because the the tensions between the different candidates, at least in the Democratic primary, are pretty significant still. Um, and we may not see that abate totally by the time of the presidential election. I know that um, kind of frustration and feeling unheard and a, a general sense of disgust about the tenor of the presidential election in 2016 mm was enough to keep a lot of women from feeling like they needed to participate. Mm. I think there was also a lot of over-polling, so some, some women felt um, maybe confident that their vote didn't matter as much at that particular election uh, than it would have at previous ones. But we also saw a drop in black women participating in 2012 um, during Barack Obama's second election cycle. Um, so I think you know part of that is a shift in focus, again, from a wholly uh, concerted effort towards the national election, but also reigniting interest in what is happening on the local level. We're talking about black voters and the role that they play in 2020 or will play in the 2020 presidential election after having declined at the polls in their numbers, at least between 2012 and 2016. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to talk about what you think role, what role you think race is going to play in deciding this major election, how big a role is it going to play in the way you cast your own ballot? Do you think Democrats have earned the loyalty and trust that they get from black voters? Or do you think the party takes African-Americans for granted? We want to hear from everyone, but we especially want to hear from you if you're a black voter who's undecided about which candidate you'll support this year or if you will vote at all. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Chris in Detroit. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, Stephen. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm okay. So as an African-American man, 
I really feel disenfranchised because they always talk about African-American women. They always talk about the black vote. And when they talk about the black vote, they paralyze, they really parallel it to African-American women. And not really, not really realizing that many times the African-American man's vote is taken away because of things like voter suppression. Because it really hurt. Or when you talk about the felonies like in Florida and things like that, people like me, I'm like, do, do I really feel like this election matters to me? Not really. Because when I look at everything and all of the data from what everybody's talking about, the data only supports African-American women. Hmm. It does not support me. It doesn't support some of my politics. It doesn't support some of the things that I like look for. I'm a vet. A lot of this stuff doesn't support African-American vets. So, so it's, just, it's crazy to me. So, Chris, are, are you thinking of not going to the polls this year? Honestly, in, in my first time i'm actually i actually am considering not going to the polls and, because it, it, yeah, go ahead. it doesn't it doesn't look it doesn't look like any of any other topics any of the topics represent me i live in detroit i need i i want my tax base to go down but it, it seems like it keeps rising for nothing hmm. and i get no services so chris I, I i really appreciate you calling and i really appreciate your being so honest in the way uh, about the way you're thinking about these things I, my question for you though is if those frustrations uh if you wanted to change those frustrations if you wanted to change the outcomes that caused those frustrations what would you do other than vote in in other words by by withholding your vote aren't you making all of those things maybe a little worse for yourself uh, and if not voting i guess what else would you would you propose to do to make things better for you my mom keeps telling me to run <laughs> to run for office well, maybe you should yeah, yeah. well i love i love that um Chris, I, I can't believe you came right out of the gate with this comment. I was hoping we could um, get on on less controversial ground starting off. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about race. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, because this is my terror. This is my terror of people. You know, it's it's so much about what what have black voters gained from voting as a block. And we, we keep going to the polls. We keep going to the polls. Things don't change. If Trump has taught us anything – it's, it's there's another question out there. What do we have to lose? Hmm. What do we have to lose? And I can't believe that we could have endured three years of Trump, three and a half years of Trump, and not have a very clear understanding of how federal policy from the top does connect to your local, your home. What about your health care, Chris? Hmm. What about your job security, Chris? What about your clean air and clean water, Chris? And if you are going to run for office, which I totally am behind you on doing, who's going to vote for you if everybody's thinking the way you are thinking now? Yeah. So I get that frustration. Um, and I, you know, before Obama, I was right there with the people are like, what are black people getting? You're taking us for granted. We keep coming out. Nothing is happening. So we didn't come out. And what happened? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, I, I would take anything over the Armageddon that we are. And I feel that strongly about it that we are facing now. And so I think the question for us right now is 
how to not make things worse? How do not how do we not lose more? I think once we are in a position that we have a bargaining power, we can ask for more. We can begin to advance. Um, Wendy just I, her article blew me away. I mean, if, I felt like she pulled together so many of the facts about the black women vote that I had not been able to articulate up until now. Mm. And then Chris comes right away and says, but what about me? What about the black man? So I do think that what we have to do now is not be fragmented by uh, a very tried and true process of divide and conquer and become come together and look at what our communities need. I think, Wendy, uh, one of the things you brought up was how strongly black people are feeling about the education system. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. serving yeah. all of us. Mm-hmm. And how education is a kitchen table issue that isn't really directly related to our federal policy directly. But um, Betsy DeVos has completely changed our lives mm-hmm. in terms of public education. And you can't deny that. Yeah. Uh, Wendy, I wonder if you can talk some about what Chris was saying about this distinction between the attention that black female voters get and that black men like him feel like perhaps they're not getting. I thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah, I I think um, I really appreciated Chris's comment, um, in part because it's coming from a place of real feeling. Um, And I think that there is, um, there is. We're in a we're in a strange moment, at least in my life, uh, where the questions of gender are really significant to how people are framing themselves politically, uh, framing themselves on an individual lace, on an individual basis. Um, and you know, I just I just feel like that there is a. Um, shifting in our notion of power. And one of the things that Chris said was he felt like his vote was being taken away from him, mm-hmm. um, that he felt like his vote didn't count as much. Um, and this is a challenge that we're facing kind of across the democracy. As we've been told, you know, one person votes and, you, and your vote is counted and everybody has to participate um, in order for this system to work. Um, but we have seen that there's been all kinds of different ways of trying to take people's uh, suppressed votes. So, in, you know, in Florida, we we see this tension going back and forth between people who were incarcerated, um, getting their votes restored, and then seeing what is in essence a poll tax reenacted to keep them from going to the polls. Um, and of course, that affects uh, a significant uh, portion of the African-American population um, in Florida. Um, as a veteran, you know, he's talking about his experience as a veteran, too, and and he's seeing um, a lot of different tensions on that front, certainly um, veteran services being challenged by the current administration, mm-hmm. but also when he comes home, the tax base is not going down. Um, the conditions are difficult uh, in some ways for him in his home spaces, so all of these are real concerns, and I think that the um, incredible challenge that we have um, is exactly what uh, Des was articulating, is that if, if, you know, if we're not participating in this system, it can get worse. 
Mm. Um, and in some ways, the ways in which it will get worse is hard to imagine. Um, it's outside of the imagination. Um, and so I think, I, I, I think we have to recognize that people are coming into this election cycle with a lot of feelings and that those feelings need to have space. Um, we need to have space to have those discussions, to allow those feelings to be voiced um, and not, ne- not necessarily dismiss the election as a completely intellectual exercise. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Des Cooper and Wendy Walters about the black vote here in 2020. And we want to continue to hear from you, Gordon in Flat Rock, Tom in Northwest Detroit, Tim in Detroit, Malcolm in Detroit. We will get to you next as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist and activist. She recently wrote a piece in Black Magazine titled, As We Enter a New Election Year, The Future of Our Nation Could Rest on Black Shoulders. Also with us is Wendy Walters, a writer and visiting professor of nonfiction writing at Columbia University. She recently wrote a piece on Medium's Zora publication about African-American women as key Midwestern swing voters. We are talking about the black vote and how it will play out in 2020 uh, as Donald Trump seeks re-election and several Democrats still uh, seek to unseat him. Uh, how will that compare to what we saw in 2016? How will it compare to what we saw in 20? 20- 12 or 2008, when we saw lots and lots of black voters come out in record numbers in 2008, in fact, to elect Barack Obama. We want to hear from you about what you think about race and elections in this country. How big a role does it play in deciding major elections? How big a role does it play in the way that you cast your own ballot? Um, Do you think Democrats, uh, the party for whom African-Americans have been voting in large numbers since the passage of the Civil Rights Act, or the the Voting Rights Act, I'm sorry, uh, have they earned that loyalty and trust from black voters, or do they take black voters for granted? Uh, We want to hear from everybody, of course, but we especially want to hear from you if you are a black voter who is undecided about which candidate you're going to support or if you are undecided about whether you're going to vote at all. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here for two people who want to respond to the first caller we had, Chris, who talked about his anxiety about maybe not getting out to vote at all because he doesn't think uh, it matters that much. Let's go to Gordon in Flat Rock. Gordon, what's on your mind? Good morning. Hey. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to address that um, with the young man who said he may not get get out and vote. Trump didn't win because of people that voted for him. Trump won because of people that stayed home. Mm. Do not allow yourself to be manipulated by the Republicans. What they are doing is they very much want you to stay home. That's their game. It's called voter suppression. Please vote. Mm. Uh, Gordon, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, we lost Malcolm uh, on the line, uh, and and he had a similar 
point of view, uh, talking about this idea of giving up and not participating. Uh, Des and Wendy, I want to get you to talk about the history of that and how it continues to play havoc, I think, in in black communities, this idea of, uh, of course, first having African-Americans as property, uh, then having them as citizens who were not fully participatory in the democracy, uh, passing laws to make that better, and then the sort of modern iteration of suppression, which is uh, legal challenges to legal voting, I guess it would be the best way to describe it. Chris, I think, reflected some of that, but but I, I think there's a wider dynamic that we, we ought to talk about. Uh, Wendy, I'll start with you. Um, I love how you phrase that, legal challenge, challenges to legal voting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there, you know, there is a, um, a waxing and waning across American history of African Americans being afforded certain uh, rights and then a rolling back of those rights. And we've kind of seen that, um, you know, before the, before the U.S. Uh, Revolutionary War, we saw that um, after the Civil War, we saw that during Reconstruction. Of course, we would see that during the Civil Rights Movement and then the rolling back of many laws um, throughout the, the 90s and um and certainly with the voter, uh, the repealing of the Voting Rights Act um, was really, really significant, um, not to mention um, the Citizens United decision, which allowed for big money to kind of come back into our political cycle. I think there is, um, there is a waxing and waning. And I think in some ways, um, recognizing that people are frustrated, it needs to be part of the messaging um, that our candidates are, are bringing to the, to the audiences because these feelings that people are having are based on real experiences of loss, real experiences of being denied, uh, being, being unrecognized as valuable contributors to the society. And I think um, trying to run a campaign based totally on projection of things we might get in the future is really not going to resonate with voters who are dealing with difficult circumstances right now. Uh, Des Cooper, uh, we saw these massive turnouts in the African-American community when Barack Obama was on the ballot. And I think the hope for a lot of people was that this was a turning point that was not just about that candidate, it, that, that it was an awakening, I guess, of of African Americans to the post black period, right? <laughs> right, of course, right. Uh, we thought a lot of things might be true because because we had a black president, but but I wonder if you can talk about uh, how. I mean, it, it's early too, and I and I think mm-hmm. we've had one election since Barack Obama was on the ballot, and it's too it's too soon to make really sweeping generalizations. But I do think that in 20, because of Donald Trump, perhaps, we will see a, a larger black turnout. It also could be that uh, Joe Biden is the, is, the, is the nominee for the Democrats, and African Americans seem much more enthusiastic about him than they do about other candidates, too. I, I wonder, though, if, if, if we can get to a point where it's not about a candidate or a candidate's race— but about 
participating, about the thing that you started this conversation off with, mm-hmm. which was this idea that it's our country too, and we ought to be participating in, in democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that um, to to piggyback on what Wendy's saying, um, you know, we are a people that are grieving now, and we are a people that feel, um, I don't know, we're under assault. You know, there there's an extinction feeling, <laughs> like there's just... Um, nothing would be better for America for some people than just to erase all of the people of color, not just the African-Americans um, and the immigrants. And um, let's make America white again. So that that's definitely a zeitgeist out there. And it's something that we are reacting to as a people both, you know, we're kind of locking down in a panic room. Um, let's just get by. Let's just make sure we're okay in our community. We don't have time for these bigger issues. And those those people can have hearings and everything, and it's just not going to touch me. Or we lift our heads out of that panic room, and we see the disarray, and we see the, the thunderclouds coming, and it's, it's just too much. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we do legitimize how we're feeling, we're feeling besieged, we're feeling grief, we're feeling terror, we're feeling threat, existential threat right now, then what do we do with that? How, how do we, if I can flip into like a PR marketing brain, what does a candidate do with that? And I think that where we are is making activism, making voting a protest, you know, like this is what we're doing. We're saying, no, we are not accepting um, what we're being handed. Uh, you know, I wonder if you can divert a river, but can you divert an ocean? Mm-hmm. You know, so so a few people not voting because they're mad or they're overwhelmed or it doesn't matter to them. Okay, well, elections change, pendulum swing, like Wendy said. But when there is a literal deluge, an ocean of um, of a block of voters that are making a physical statement with their bodies and their feet and their mind about this is their America. I think that even if this election ends up being stolen or doesn't go the way this these voters go, the message, the the visual that we are not alone in our terror and our grief, that we are standing together against something, um, is going to be our motivating. Mm. You know, so you know you can't curl up and die right now. <laughs> it's war. You know, it really yeah. are. We're fighting for the morals of our country, and uh, and black people have had to do that forever. The civil rights movement was all about the moral fiber of our country, the moral direction of our democracy, you know, and, and to Wendy's point again, you know, black men got to vote a long time before black women did. Yes. Yes. Well, at so, least in the, in the law they did, right? In the law. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. In the law. Um, and, and so there, you know, we have that historical baggage to carry and we're not going to go back. This is not the day or the time. We are not doing that, and we're not going to accept what's being handed to us on our knees. Not this time. Let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good morning. Hey. I uh, told the screener that 
I've been voting since the voting age was dropped down to 18. And so that was a long time ago. I'm 66 now, and I voted in every election. And I struggle now trying to convince younger people to vote because there's not a whole lot that I can present to them that has come from me voting as an African-American. We don't seem to really have gained very much at all. It's almost like... Um, um, the illusion of a promotion on a job when really it's just uh, a lateral move. Uh, You only lose ground. You don't really gain anything. And I don't see how we have gained anything uh, from, from voting other than to say that we are allowed to participate in the process. Mm. And I think even that is somewhat of an illusion. But this is what I really want to say about the atmosphere that Donald Trump has created with him coming on the scene. What has happened is that the uh, uh, the middle ground has disappeared where liberal whites were, were able to say, uh, well, I, I, you know, I'm really against all of this racist stuff and, 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 and I'm against it, but uh, I'm not one of those people to get out there and, and, and make a bunch of noise about it. That has disappeared. You can no longer pretend like you're uh, on the fence because Donald Trump has made it real clear either you're with racism or you're against it. And if you're against it, you have to be actively, productively, and out front against it or you're a part of it. And you can't just ride the fence anymore. So he has exposed uh, that part, and he's also uh, exposed what America is willing to do to its image and to itself uh, to, to support such such nonsense. Uh, America is no longer even America to, to those who were born before the 60s. What we thought of, even though I'm an African-American, I have pride in America and everything that America has always stood for, and that has just been thrown out the window with this pretense of Trump being president and allowing him to continue to function with as much as I could say negatively about him and and his whole uh, uh, everything about him. I, I don't want to get personal with, mm, yeah. with what he represents, uh, Aaron, but it's just a shame. Yeah, Aaron, I really appreciate the call. I, I, I want to go back to your initial point, which I think is in, incredibly provocative, this idea that uh, the the many years of African-American voting, of increased African-American voting that we've seen since the passage of the Voting Rights Act has not yielded for you the kinds of changes that would suggest that it, that it was worth it. I, I think that's a really powerful statement. I'm not sure that, that I would agree. I mean, I think I could point to lots of things that I think have happened to improve the lot of African-Americans uh, because of their voting. I would point to the Affordable Care Act uh, as one of the more recent uh, developments that that has ensured millions of black people who didn't have it before. But but I want to get my guests to respond to that, this idea of what the payoff is for voting. I think that is is one of the more difficult questions, I guess, that, that African-Americans face is, is, again, not just does my vote count in terms of the outcome in an election, but does it also produce the kinds of changes that that I expect from my life? Uh, Des Cooper, what do you think about that? 
Well, I kind of back to what I started with. It's maybe right now it's not about what we're going to gain, but what we can lose. Mm-hmm. And we're learning that we could lose it all. Um, and so that's why we have to vote now. Um, I think that once we are organized, once we have been heard um, as a block, once we have righted the ship, that's the time to then take those coalitions and that motivation and you know all those people that got engaged and parlay that into advancing the ball. Mm. Um, but the, the the issue right now is what can we lose and are we willing to keep you know to lose it? I mean, I I would hate for um, the most powerful voting voting block in the United States to succumb to the politics of despair. Hmm. That's never where we've been, and it's not the time now. Um, we are about holding out hope when you can't even see it. And um, I do think that, you know, we're, we're facing – it's a talking point almost, uh, and I have to agree with you, Stephen. Like, I, we have gained a lot. It's, it's hard to see sometimes, but I am taking care of my 86-year-old parents, and I'm going to tell you their life was real different than my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> real different. Right. And um, there have been gains, maybe not enough and not fast enough, but we're about to lose those. Right. And so it is about activism. It is about activism. It is about what we will lose if we do not step up. Yeah. Let's talk about what we can gain once we get the White House. Get back to some sort of norm, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> uh, Wendy, Wendy uh, I'll give you the last word uh, on this conversation. Well, I just wanted to point to a, a point that Des made earlier. She said that, you know, a vote is also a protest. And in... 2012, we saw kind of a split with younger voters, some of them choosing activism rather than choosing to vote. And I think, you know, Des has made this point uh, incredibly clear. Um, But right now, voting is part of the protest. Voting is part of the activism. And I think if we can see that emphasized or see the candidates, um, whether the candidate, I guess, whether the candidates emphasize it or not, that is the fact of our reality right now. Okay, Des Cooper and Wendy Walters, it was really great to have both of you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Mm-hmm. Up next, we're going to talk about a new app that launches today that is meant to improve personal and public safety here in Detroit. But how is it balancing that against privacy concerns? We will hear about it next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.